0: So I'm going to invite Jeremy up just now, and Jeremy is going to read for us our scripture passage, which today is Joshua chapter 1. We're beginning um, this new series on Joshua. Joshua, I had felt the Lord had given me as a personal reading, um, but uh, then the Lord said, actually, it's for us all, so it's not just me. So There you go, Jeremy.
1: So what we will do is I will read up to verse 16 and then the last couple of verses, which is the people of Israel responding to Joshua. I'm going to get you, I'm going to ask you all to read this out from, uh, from this. So first chapter of the book of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea in the west, the Mediterranean. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Meditate on it, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go." So. Joshua ordered the officers of the people go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua,
0: So, has God ever promised you something that you would love to happen, but you think is probably only a pipe dream? Something that seems so remote from where you are now? Now, God has um, promised me that in the future I will have a ministry that rehabs people and animals. Now I know that there will be a journey to get to that to become a reality. First, I'll need the money <laughs> for this project to happen. Second, I need the land for this to happen. And thirdly, I need the skill set, and I need the animals. <laughs> for that. Well, probably the animals are, are kind of nearly there, but you know so this might seem quite a long way off in the future, but it will happen. I know it will happen because the Lord has promised it will. And the Lord always keeps his promises. I just have to trust the Lord and know that he is guiding my path. And as I trust him, I just have to keep saying yes to what he calls me to do, knowing that this is part of the path to get there. And it's not just in our personal lives that God makes promises. He makes promises to us in, in our churches. You know, here at White Inch. And also, he makes promises to the national church. Now, when I arrived here at White Inch, God told me there would be rejuvenation, And there would be revival. And that what we learned here about rejuvenation and revival, we then could share nationally to revive the church. And the church needs reviving, and it's going to need reviving further down the line after it goes through this really difficult period of shaking and dismantling within the Church of Scotland. And this, what the Lord had told me when I had arrived, this tied in with a vision actually that I'd had a number of years ago at a church conference of a forest fire destroying nearly everything. But at the end, seeds and plants started to grow from the embers. And even though we are small in numbers, friends, just now, I fully believe and trust in this promise that God made me for this church. That we would have rejuvenation and revival and that what we learn here in this community, we can share with the nation. Now, none of this is going to be easy, and it takes time and perseverance to see rejuvenation and revival here locally, and it'll take even more time and perseverance to see rejuvenation and revival in the National Church. But it can and it will happen if we believe and trust in the promise of God and obey what he is calling us to do while we journey with him. Now, the book of Joshua begins with the reminder of God's promise to the people of Israel and the knowledge that this promise was now going to come to pass. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. At the beginning of chapter one, the Israelites are camped along the east bank of the River Jordan at the very edge of the promised land. They are completing the mourning period for Moses who has just died. 39 years earlier, the Israelites had the opportunity to enter the promised land, but they had failed to trust God to give them victory. So because of their distrust, God did not let them enter the promised land. Instead, they had to wander in the desert until the disobedient generation had died out. And during this time of wandering, the Israelites had obeyed God's law and they taught the next generation to obey God's law too. Joshua had been Moses' assistant, so he, he would have been well-trained in the tasks of leadership. But even he must have been daunted by the challenge ahead. He was coming into leadership in the shadow of the great man Moses. Moses who had led the people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses who had received revelation from God in the most direct manner. Joshua must have been wondering if he had what it took to step up and fill Moses' shoes. And Joshua would need to go one step further than Moses. For Joshua would be leading two million people into the promised land. Land that was already occupied and land that would need to be conquered. But throughout this chapter, we have God reassuring Joshua, reassuring Joshua with his presence. In verse five, God says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your lives. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in verse 6, God says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And in verse 9, God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua does not have to grit his teeth and gather up all his courage and do this enormous task on his own. No, God will be with him. God had said the same to Moses in Exodus 3 verse 12 before he brought the people out of Egypt. I will be with you. Moses is dead now, but God has not changed. God is still saying to Joshua, I will be with you. The same God who is present with his servant and people to help and deliver. It is because of this assurance of God's presence that Joshua can be bold bold and be courageous. And we can be assured that whatever we do in the Lord's name, when we follow his call, that God will be with us. And you might be sitting there thinking, yes, well, Joshua was a great leader. God chose him for the task. So yes, he's going to be with him. But I'm just an ordinary person. God isn't going to be with me. But Hebrews 13 verses 5 to 6 assures us differently. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus said to the disciples, and does, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The promise of God's abiding presence in Joshua 1 is also for you. In all of our changing circumstances, God says to us, I will be with you. And to keep his focus on God, to keep his strength and courage, Joshua is encouraged to read God's word and to obey it, to meditate on God's word day and night. So he won't be deviated by what others are saying to him. And let's be assured of that, there will be lots of voices, many voices with opinions who will be questioning his leadership Questioning the tactics of the conquest of the land. Questioning how he's doing things. But Joshua has to keep his focus firmly on what God is telling him to do and to obey. And this is a great lesson for us. Now on a personal note, I admit, after reflection, that I didn't obey what God was saying to me. When he first told me about the community meals. These community meals that we did before Christmas. Now God had planted it on my heart once a month from February. But partnering partnering with others, you know, you get influenced by their voices. And so it was decided once a week from November. And you think, okay. Okay. Was the harem you know that seems perfectly reasonable people need this yeah so let's do it but it wasn't the right time and it wasn't what God wanted you know yes people came along but not as many as we were expecting and on reflection we tried to rush what God was calling us to do The work that God wants to happen in this community needs space to breathe, to embed, and is for the longer term, not the short term. And it was only when I reflected that I realized that I did not fully do what God had said because I had listened to others. And the lesson? Well, in future, I will not be deviated from what the Lord's saying, and it doesn't matter who it's come coming up against, you know? Others can do what they want to do, but if it's not from what the Lord says, I will not be partnering with it. And so we see in this chapter, we see God preparing Joshua for the task ahead. He's been told to be bold and courageous, but to be assured that God is with them, God is with them all, to keep his focus fully on God by meditating on God's word day and night, and to obey it. And finally in this chapter, to make this journey into the promised land and to conquer the land, we are told that the people have to be united. Now, during the previous year, uh, which you can read about in Numbers 32, the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribes of Manasseh had asked Moses if they could settle in the east of the promised land. This area was uh, filled with excellent pasture for their large flocks of sheep. Now, Moses had not been happy with this request and uh, he thought it was another thing that would abort the fulfilling of God's promise and that it would cause disagreement among the Israelites. But in Numbers 32 verses, 20, uh, and, uh, verses 26 to 27, it says, the Gadites and the Reubenites said to Moses, we, your servants, will do as our Lord commands. Our children and wives, our flocks and herds will remain here in the cities of Gilead. But your servants, every man who is armed for battle, will cross over to fight before the Lord, just as our Lord says. So here in verses 12 to 18 of Joshua 1, these tribes are living up to their agreement. As they already have their land, they could have said, no, we're not going to support you. We're not risking our lives. But, You know, that's not what happens. And it's important that all these tribes accept Joshua's leadership as he needs to be accepted by all of Israel if he's to function as the true successor of Moses and for the people to enter the promised land. If they don't accept his leadership, then he will be diminished and there will be a nation divided and they won't be able to enter the promised land. But these tribes do accept Joshua's leadership, and they honor the agreement that they made with Moses. The men of the tribes will support their fellow Israelites with the conquest, and afterwards they can return to their wives and children and the land that they have settled. We have them, you know, and we have this then exhortation to Joshua Each of the three promises is made of initial, whatever, wherever, whoever. Each of these is followed by a verb command, send and obey, which is then followed by a second clause made up of a corresponding verb. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. And they see that God is with Joshua, that Joshua is God's chosen leader for the people of Israel. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And they ask for serious consequences for those who do not obey Joshua's leadership. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. So to cross into the promised land, the Israelites need to be unified. Otherwise, it could be chaotic and the conquest of the land would not happen. The Israelites need to be unified behind one leader to focus on and obey the instructions of God to allow the promise of God to come to pass. We need that same focus and unity now. You know, if as a church we are to complete the tasks that God has given us, we must fully agree to his plan, pledge ourselves to it, to obey it, put his principles into action and get behind those who are leading the plan. And also nationally, we need to be united. That means having public meetings where there's that's a place where everyone feels that they can speak, for there to be caring encouragement, even if we don't agree. And it means caring enough to raise up our brothers and sisters in Christ who are feeling discouraged. And as I said earlier, there is so much shaking and dismantling happening within the Church of Scotland just now, and so much hurt caused. By the presbytery mission plans. Church communities will be disbanded. Church communities will link with others and some will have to join together. And I know that my home church in the village where my mum and dad live are worried that their church will be closed. As there are a village on the outskirts of town there is a only, the bus only starts after 12 o'clock on a Sunday. So people who don't have transport, they're not going to be able to get to church anymore. What happens to them then? And I've heard people talk that, saying that, well, if their church closes, they won't go to another one. That is, they're finished with church. And I've heard talk from other people as well saying that, oh, well, the church of Scotland's in this claim and it will be dead soon. But God's church isn't dead and it isn't dying. We are here. All our brothers and sisters are here. It's up to us to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage each other I've always said that you don't need a hundred people in your congregation to make things happen. You don't even need 50. If you have a handful of people who are on fire for the Lord, the Lord can make great things happen. The Lord can make miracles. Now the last time I spoke with people from my home church, I encouraged them to make sure that they had a presence in the village. That even if they don't have a church building further down the line, that they had options. They could hire the community centre or the school. You know, they can still be a church. And I pray that White Inch meeting here in the community centre can be a model for other churches around the country who can be a church without a building. So friends, when you have the opportunity, please share what we're doing here at White Inch with others. You never know where it'll lead. You never know who it's going to encourage. Now this Friday, I got an email inviting me to become part of a presbytery committee. No, like i'm not a fan of presbytery <laughs> not at all and this committee if i was to be involved it would actually be a tough gig and uh, if, in all honesty i don't want to do it you know i'd prefer an easy life but i've been told that i have the skill set and I did ask a few other people. I said, oh, have you been invited to join it? You know, thinking, well, if others have then, I don't need to bother. But no, they haven't. <laughs> now, I've always been a bit anti-establishment. I like being on the outside. I like being a rebel. But actually, I'm feeling God's prod me. God's saying, it's not the time for this, Laura. I feel God saying to me, Time to put your money where your mouth is. You have all these opinions on what church is. You've got these opinions on what church should be. Then step up. You have all these thoughts about the Presbytery Mission Plan and the direction of the Church of Scotland. Well, step up. Share. Encourage. Unify. Unify. And as I've been praying on it, I've been thinking of God's promises to me, to our church here at White Inch, and to the national church. Perhaps this is part of the path, the journey to where these promises come to pass. The Israelites wandered for 40 years, but they kept hope in God's promise. The journey to this promise coming to life was not easy. It was difficult, but they kept trusting. They kept hope that God would keep his promise. And we've all received promises from God, whether in scripture or personally. And sometimes though, it seems like it's a long time to come to pass. So much so that we might wonder if God will ever make good of his promises. This week, friends, I'd like you to reflect on these promises that God has made to you and to think about how you can keep your faith, keep your faith in these promises alive. The Israelites waited so close and yet so far from the promised land and they must have wondered if God was ever Going to make good on his promise. But they continued to obey God and trust his word. And when the time came, he moved swiftly through Joshua. So we need to be ready for God's call to action, for him to move swiftly to fulfill his promises, even when we have waited perhaps years, perhaps even decades. And when we're called to action, we have to do so with courage and boldness in the knowledge that the, the Lord, our God, is with us. And to keep our focus fully on him by meditating on his word day and night and being unified.